Well, I just want to extend a, a, another welcome for those who are joining us online. We're glad that you're with us this week. And um, before we get started with our teaching tonight, we've got a few announcements that I'd like to, to make. Um, every week we do uh, a women's Bible study offering. And the women's Bible study offering goes to help us with child care, um, those beautiful books that you're doing, um, Esther in, the study of Esther in, helps with tech support. So at your table, there's always an envelope that the leader will have. If it's on your heart to give, there's no obligation to give, but if it's on your heart to give and help towards um, just the, some of the logistical things to put Bible study on, we really appreciate that. Our next announcement is retreat registration. Woo! Who's excited for retreat? <laughs> um, women's, uh, our women's ministry, actually our ministry in general, we haven't had retreat in about three years since the start of the pandemic. So we're really excited that in 2024, we'll be back up the mountain. Our registration will open um, November 1st. And the women's retreat will be held, the, I think it's the second weekend in March, March 8th through 10th. So please keep your eye open for that. Join us. Our, um, our capacity is limited. We don't have a lot of space there, but we want as many people who want to go to join us. So keep your eye out for that. So now I want to welcome up our beautiful women's pastor, Jill Rhodes. <laughs> She's got a message for us tonight, and uh, I'll pass it off to Jill. Thanks, Tanya. Hey, ladies, as Tanya said, welcome, welcome, welcome. Don't take my notes, Tanya. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Gal Pal Week. You guys, this is the first time we've ever done Gal Pal Week, and it's so fun to see you guys here, and it was fun. I got to meet a few of you who were invited by people, so... If you're here and it's your first time, as Tanya said, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And to all of you guys who normally attend Bible study, I've heard so many stories of women who invited people. And as you know, with invites, sometimes people say yes and sometimes they say no, but way to go inviting people, ladies. So welcome, welcome to Gal Pal Week. And if I have not yet met you, Tanya already introduced me, but I'm one of the women's and community life pastors here at Christian Assembly, along with Tanya. And then many of you will know one of our other women's pastors, Coley, who's out on maternity leave. She'll be back later in November, but it is great to be with you. And so whether a friend invited you tonight, maybe you heard about this on our website or social media, or maybe you heard about gal pals and thought, I want some gal pals. Maybe you heard there was free portos and that's what got you here. Whatever got you here, ladies, we are glad that you are here. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, this fall at Women's Bible Study, we are studying the book of Esther in the Bible. And tonight we're going to be looking at Esther chapters 5 and 6. But for anyone who's new, for anyone who's just checking things out tonight, let me just give you a quick overview of where we've been these past several weeks and then where we're headed for the next, for tonight and the next few weeks. So the book of Esther is a book in the Bible. It's found in the Old Testament. And ultimately what we see in the book of Esther is that God uses ordinary people just like you and me to do extraordinary things for his glory and his purposes. And so the brief summary of Esther, and to catch you up on where we've been, the brief summary of Esther is this. 
There's a guy who is the king of Persia. He's got a queen. He dethrones that queen. He decides to put Esther in that person's place as queen, so Esther becomes queen. One of the king's officials, who is a a man named Haman, persuades the king to issue an edict to have all of the Jewish people killed. And so the king does. He issues that edict. Mordecai, another guy in the story, Mordecai is the cousin of Esther. He shares that edict with Esther and encourages her to go to the king and try to save the Jews. And then he says probably one of the most famous lines in the entire book of Esther. He says, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so Esther agrees to go to the king and to try to use her position to help get the king to stop the Jews from being killed. So that's where we left off last week. And so what we're going to see is Esther courageously risks her own life. She approaches the king, and ultimately God does use her to save the Jews. So that is a very quick overview and summary of what happens in the book of Esther. One of the unique things about Esther, and we've mentioned this in the past, but for those of you who are new tonight, one of the unique things about Esther that's worth repeating is that unlike any other book in the Bible, Esther is the one book where God is never explicitly or directly mentioned. God is mentioned nowhere in Esther, and yet we see God everywhere on the pages of Esther. His fingerprints and his plans are all over the book of Esther. One of the key themes we've discussed this fall that we'll see in Esther is the truth that God is always at work. And he's not just at work, but God is always at work for good for those who love him. That's what God's word word tells us. tonight we're going to look at Esther chapters 5 and 6. We are going to see God powerfully at work behind the scenes, but we are also going to see the power that lies in human action. You and I have a role to play in how our stories unfold. There are actions that we can take that have power, and sometimes that power is used for good, and sometimes that power is used for evil, but our actions have power. And so I want us to look at three of the actions, three different things that we see in Esther chapters five and six, and what we can learn from those actions. But before we jump in, would you join me as we pray together? Father God, thank you so much for Gal Pal Week. God, thanks for Women's Bible Study. Thanks even just for giving us the idea to do a night like this, Lord. Thank you, God, for all the women who've been invited and the many women who said yes and came tonight, Lord. And so for each new person here, I just pray, I just pray your blessing on them, your protection on them. And God, I pray that they would be encouraged as they hear from the book of Esther and as they hear from you. And I pray that each of them would have a deep encounter with you, Lord. So for every woman in this room, whether new or they've been with us for weeks or months, for all those online or in our satellite groups, God, would you just speak to them? Would you meet them? And would you encourage us, Lord? Would you speak through me, God? I just pray that your Holy Spirit would fill me afresh and fill this place afresh and move in ways that only you can, God. So we pray all this in your great name, Jesus. Amen. All right, you guys, so we're going to begin reading in Esther chapter 5, verse 1. It'll be on the side screens. It's also in your books. Just as a reminder, at this point in the story, Esther knows what she needs to do. Esther knows that she needs to use her position as queen and go and try and approach the king and try to get him to stop the Jews from being killed. But what she's about to do is dangerous. When she, She's going to approach the king without being summoned, which is a really risky and courageous thing to do, and it could actually cost her her life. So that's what the context is for what we're about to read. So Esther 5, starting in verse 1, says this. 
On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, what is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, my wish and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So the first verse we just read in chapter 5, verse 1, tells us that on the third day, Esther got dressed and she went and tried to speak with the king. But my question when I read that is, why'd she wait till the third day? Like, she already knew what she was going to do. Why didn't she act quicker? What was the point in waiting a couple of days to do what she knew she needed to do? And why did she invite the king to two banquets instead of one? Why couldn't she have just made her request at the first banquet instead of needing to have a second banquet? I don't know about you guys, but I love personality tests, and I've taken a lot of personality tests and strengths tests over my lifetime. And one of the things that they always tell me about myself is that I am an activator. I like action. I like doing. I like to move quickly. I don't like to wait or hold off on things. I like to get things done. I resonate very, very deeply with the motto of one of the world's greatest shoe companies that says, just do it. I will be in meetings with people and in my head thinking, just do it. Like, just do what we're talking about. I love that motto. And so oftentimes I am just wanting to act and I want to get something done. And here's the thing. There's some truth to the need to get things done and to act. There's power in action. There are times in life where we need to just do something. We need to act. But sometimes one of the most powerful actions we can take is to wait. And that's one of the things that we see in Esther's story here in chapter five, which brings me to the first point for today, which is this. Esther's story reminds us that there is power in waiting. There is power in waiting. Esther knew what she needed to do, but she chose to wait. Now, she didn't wait years or even weeks, so please don't hear me saying, hey, you know what you need to do, but I'm encouraging you to just go procrastinate and just spend years before you do what you need to do. Not what I'm saying at all. Esther waited a few days, and what's most important is what she chose to do in that waiting. Esther chose to fast. That's what we're told in context at the end of chapter 4. And here's what you read in Esther 4, 15 through 16. Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther and the Jews spent three days fasting in preparation for what she was about to do. Fasting is a practice, it's a discipline that we read about in both the Old and the New Testaments, and so much could be said about fasting. But the simplest way I can explain it is just to say that fasting is a practice or a discipline in which we give up something for a time in order to focus our attention on God. 
Oftentimes people give up food. Today, sometimes people will give up social media, they'll give up television, things like that. Things that might distract them from paying attention to God or spending time with him. Dallas Willard says this about fasting. He says, fasting confirms our utter dependence upon God by finding in him a source of sustenance beyond food. So the Bible tells us that Esther and the Jews fasted, but it doesn't explicitly tell us why they fasted. However, it's very likely that they were fasting in order to seek God's guidance, to find strength in God, to spend time in prayer. Esther knew what she needed to do, but apart from the help and the strength and the power of God, Esther could not do what she needed to do. This reminds me of John 15 when Jesus is talking to his disciples, and it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, but Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you and I really truly believe that apart from Christ, we can do nothing? If I'm honest, there are seasons where I have tried to live and act out of my own strength. I've tried to do good things for God on my own, apart from him. But Christ says the only way to bear fruit is to abide in Christ, to stay connected to him, to spend time with him, to recognize our dependence on him. Are you living as though your life depends on God or are you trying to do this life without him? And if your answer is the latter, How's that working for you? Esther knew the action that God was calling her to courageously take, but before she did it, she paused. She waited. When it comes to our everyday decisions, our lives, the things we do, all the roles that God has assigned to you and called you to, how can we wait as Esther did and invite God into those actions? There are so many things we could talk about at this point, but I'm just going to share with you one of the absolute best ways I know of to pause and wait before the Lord, to pause and wait on God before acting and doing, is to make it a daily habit every morning to spend time with God. I have a lot on my plate in this season, probably more than I've had on my plate in quite some time, but I don't feel overwhelmed by it. I don't feel stressed by it. I really believe that God has given me strength and prepared me for the season I'm in, and a lot of that has come from my consistent and daily practice of being with the Lord every morning, praying and being in God's word. And so if you do not have this discipline built into your life, ladies, I want to encourage you to challenge yourself for the next 30 days and to just spend five minutes. I'm not asking 10 or 15 or 50 minutes, but five minutes every morning. Set your alarm five Five minutes earlier. Wake up five minutes earlier and spend five minutes every morning for the next 30 days in prayer and in God's word and see how he shows up in that. And if you're not sure how to do that or what to do or where to even begin, talk to me, send me an email. I would love to chat with you about my own journey building this practice and give you some tips and resources. But one of the things that we see in Esther's story is that there is great power in waiting. The next thing we see comes from Haman's story, and so we'll start reading in Esther 5, verse 9. It says, Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart, but when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. 
Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared, and tomorrow also I'm invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. So one of the things that we see in these verses is the pride of Haman, right? We see his boasting as he tells his friends about his possessions and all these things he has and the splendor of his riches and how he was so special to be chosen by Queen Esther to go to the banquet with just her and the king. But in addition to his pride, we also see his anger and we see his wrath specifically toward Mordecai. And ultimately, I think what we really see is Haman's, anger, is Haman's hatred towards Mordecai. And this brings me to my second point. Haman's story shows us the power of hatred. Haman's story shows us the power of hatred. Earlier in the book of Esther, Haman's hatred toward the Jews led him to come up with a plan to have all of the Jews killed and wiped out. That plan is already set in motion. The king has already issued an edict to have all the Jews killed, which means that Mordecai, who is a Jew, is already under a death sentence. He's already going to be killed. But Haman is so angry, and he has so much hatred for Mordecai, that he enacts a plan to have Mordecai killed even sooner, following the counsel of his friends and his wife. And a side note, this also is a good reminder to watch the counsel that you take and take counsel from wise people. But following the counsel of his friends and his wife, Haman has a gallows made. And one commentary I read said that the gallows mentioned here was probably not for hanging someone, but rather it was for violently killing someone through the act of impaling them. So a pointed stake would be set in the ground, the victim would be placed on it, and then pulled down so that the stake would go up through the victim, through their body, up through their neck, and it would be an excruciating and torturous death. How much sin and hatred must Haman have had in his heart towards Mordecai to want this kind of a death for this man, right? He wanted him to die in such a cruel and a painful way. And ladies, the truth is it's easy for us to look at Haman and think, wow, what an awful guy. I could never hate someone that much that I would want them to die like that. I could never do and feel what Haman did. And maybe that's true to some degree. Maybe you and I don't have someone that we want to suffer such an excruciating and painful death like Haman did with Mordecai. But if we're honest, is there any part of Haman's pride, bitterness, anger, or hatred that we see in ourselves? Is there any way that you and I have let hatred take root towards a certain person, a family member, a friend, maybe a certain people group, a certain political party? The list goes on, right? Hatred has power in Haman's life, but it, that power is not used for good. Its power is for evil. Haman is so consumed by his hatred that he wants an innocent man to die, and not only that, but he wants an entire people group. He wants all of the Jews to be destroyed.
Hatred towards other people, if you let it, will eat away at you from the inside out. It will control you. It will influence your thoughts and your actions for evil, and it will weigh you down and keep you ultimately from loving people the way that God doesn't just call us to, but the way that God commands us to. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have decided to stick to love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. And he also said, let no man pull you so low as to hate him. I want to encourage you, ladies, ask God to search your heart and show you if there are any ways, any places where hatred has taken root inside of you. Repent if those things come up and ask for God's forgiveness. Ask him to give you the desire and the ability to love those that you are prone to hate. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who have wronged you or that you simply just don't like. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Haman's story reminds us that there is power in hatred. And then finally, the third thing we see comes from Mordecai's story. And so we'll pick up in Esther 6, 1, which says, on that night, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Now, let me pause here and then we'll continue. The context for what we've just read is found earlier in Esther chapter 2. And basically what this is referring to that we read about in Esther 2 is that Mordecai discovered that there were two men who were plotting harm against the king. And so Mordecai chose to do the right thing. He chose to take action and make sure that that was brought to the king's attention. It was then investigated and those two men were hung on the gallows. So that's the story that the king is now reading about in this book of memorable deeds. One other thing to note, How interesting that on the night before Haman was going to have Mordecai killed, the king happened to not be able to sleep. And on the night that the king just so happened not to be able to sleep, of all the things he could have chosen to do or read, I don't know about you, reading is not usually what I choose to do if I can't sleep, but they didn't have, you know, TV back then. So of all the things that he could have chosen to do, or even the books he could have chosen to read, he chose to read from this book, the book of memorable deeds. And of all the pages that he could have flipped to in what I would assume is a decently large book, he read the page that contained the story of Mordecai. What a crazy coincidence, right? Not a coincidence. God's hand and his sovereignty and his fingerprints are all throughout this story, even though God is not explicitly mentioned. So Esther 6.3 continues, says, And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing's been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man who the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn and the horse that the king has ridden and on whose head a royal crown is set and let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. You guys see where this is going. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horses 
as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. So basically, the king realizes that nothing was ever done to honor Mordecai for his good deed. And here's the thing. Nothing that we read in Esther would suggest that Mordecai was seeking to be honored or that he was waiting for recognition. But rather, it really just seems that Mordecai did what he did simply because it was the right thing to And so the third thing I think we see in these chapters of Esther is this. Mordecai's story reminds us that there is power in doing the right thing. His story reminds us that there is power in simply doing the right thing. What these verses we just read show us is that Haman did want to be honored. He wanted the applause of a human king. But Mordecai, in his great humility, didn't seek the applause of the king, nor did he really even need it. So much of the Christ-centered life, so much of the life where we are following Jesus and living for him is about doing what is right. It's about doing the right thing and making choices that honor God. And we don't do that to earn God's love or to earn our salvation because that's not how it works. But we do that as a way to honor God and bring him glory and be his light in this world. And so, so much of the Christ-centered life is about doing the right thing regardless of whether or not we ever receive thanks or applause from anyone here on this earth. Galatians 1.10 says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In Galatians, the Apostle Paul makes a distinction between seeking to please God and seeking to please man. And if we're honest, I think a lot of us, myself included, are trying to do both. We're trying to please God, but we're also trying to please people in the sense that we do want their approval and we do want their applause. There's a part of us that wants to find worth in what others think of us and value in what they think of us. We want their applause. We want to hear people say, well done, that was great, you're awesome. But Paul says, we can't do both because if we're trying to please people, then we are not servants of Christ. What God thinks about us matters so much more than what other people think about us. The late pastor and theologian Tim Keller says this. He says, the gospel removes a man-pleasing spirit, the drive to win the approval of men. It replaces that spirit with its opposite, not needing to win or seek human approval for what you do. In other words, the gospel produces confident and fearless followers of Jesus, doing what is right without concern for the approval and good opinion of others. One of the ways that we please God is by obeying him and doing what is right just like Mordecai did. Mordecai's story shows us that there is power in doing the right thing. What is the next right thing that God might be asking you to do. Maybe there's an area in your life where you've been disobeying God and you know that you're living in sin. You know that you're making choices that are not consistent with God's word and what God wants for us. And you need to repent and bring some accountability in and some counsel, but you need to repent and ask for forgiveness and make the choice now to say, God, I'm going to stop disobeying you in this area and I'm going to do what is right. Or maybe there's someone in your life that if you're honest, you've been harboring hatred or resentment or bitterness or anger toward and you need to pray about that and repent and ask for God's forgiveness and ask for God to help you to love that person as only he can. 
Maybe for some of you who are visiting or who are new, maybe your next right thing to do is just to come back to Bible study next week because you sense an invitation from God. You sense in this place, hey, I think I need to be surrounded by some women. Like the, the Portos was good and the ice cream bars were good. But I need to be surrounded by women and I need to know God and I need to be surrounded by women who know and love God. Maybe some of you are sensing that invitation I shared earlier that the next right thing for you to do is to spend time with God every morning to just let all the excuses go and put all those things aside and just make it a priority to start every day with God. As we follow Jesus, may our lives be a story of continually seeking to do the right thing, repenting when we mess up, and then seeking again to do the right thing over and over and over again to bring honor and glory to God, regardless of whether or not we ever receive honor and applause from man here on earth. So Esther's story, ladies, Esther's story shows us the power of waiting. Haman's story shows us the power of hatred, and Mordecai's story shows us the power of doing the right thing. As we close, I want to invite us into a moment of prayer, and I just want to give us space to hear from the Lord and invite him to speak. And so wherever you're at, you can close your eyes, you can bow your head, whatever, but this is just between you and the Lord. And I just want to give us a moment to wait on God and invite him to speak and say whatever it is that he wants us to walk away with tonight. So Father God, first we just come to you and we say thank you for your word. Thank you for women's Bible study. Thank you for all you've done for us, God. And Lord, thank you for all that you're teaching us through your word and through the book of Esther. God, I pray now that you would speak to each of us, myself included, those online, those in satellite groups. And God, would you speak to our hearts? Uh, Would you convict us of sin where there's sin? Would you show us your next steps for us and however you want us to be encouraged or challenged from what we heard tonight, Lord. And so I want to encourage you guys. We talked tonight about three things. We talked about the power of waiting. We talked about the power of hatred and we talked about doing the power of the right thing. And so just sit with the Lord and ask him about one or more of those areas. Say, God, is there an area where you want me to wait on you? Is there a way that you want me to build waiting into my life? When it comes to hatred, I'd encourage you to sit and ask God and just say, God, search my heart. Is there any area of me where hatred has taken root? Would you show that to me? And whatever comes up, just confess that and repent and ask God to change your heart. And then you can sit with God as well on the question of, God, what is the next right thing you want me to do? And maybe you know what you're supposed to do and you're just nervous and you need courage, so ask God for that. Or maybe you don't know what to do. But just sit with God on that. One or more of those questions. God, where are you calling me to wait? God, where is there any, any hatred that's taken root in my life? And God, what, what might be the next right step that you're wanting me to take?
you can continue in this posture. This is just a time between you and the Lord. But I also want to give one more invitation for anyone here who hasn't yet said yes to God. You come and you're far from God. You've never been in a right relationship with God. You don't know what it looks like to follow God. You know, when we asked that question earlier about are you living life depending on God or apart from him, your answer was I'm living apart from him and not really depending on him. If you're here tonight or online or in a satellite group and you have never said yes to a relationship with Jesus, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. The good news of God's word tells us what Jesus has done for us. And I want you to hear that good news, some of you for the first time, some of you for the second or 50th or millionth time. But according to God's word, God created us on purpose and for a purpose. He loves you and me deeply. He values you and me deeply and he has purposes for our lives. But God's word tells us that we've all sinned. We've all messed up. We've all sinned, meaning we have missed the mark of God's good and glorious standard for us. We've all fallen short of God's glory. Each and every one of us has made mistakes. We have all sinned, and the penalty for our sin, the wages for our sin, is death. If we want to talk about what we owe or what we deserve, it's death. But God, in his great love, and mercy and grace sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life on this earth. And Jesus took all of our sin upon himself. He went to the cross. He died for our sin and he paid the penalty we owe so that we don't have to. And he rose three days later. And all who place their faith and trust in Jesus will be made right with God. They'll be forgiven for their sins and they will receive the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. There is only one way to be made right with the Father and that is through Jesus Christ and placing our trust and faith in him through God's grace. And so if you've never said yes to being in a relationship with God, you've never said yes to Jesus, but you want to do that, I want to give you a moment where you can do that right now. And I want you to also hear, you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be perfect because none of us are and none of us will be on this side of eternity. You just have to have a willing heart to say, God, I want to follow you and I want you to save me and I want you to forgive me for my sins. And so if you're ready to make that decision, you can just pray, aloud under your breath you can pray silently just between you and the lord but you can just say god i confess that i'm a sinner in need of a savior forgive me for my sins god i believe that jesus died for my sins on the cross i believe that he rose again three days later and I am placing my faith and trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I am committing to follow you, God, all the days of my life. And if you prayed that prayer, we welcome you into the family of God. You have been made new in Christ because of God's work and the work of the Holy Spirit in you. If you made that decision, the Holy Spirit now lives in you and dwells in you. And so we want to welcome you to the family of God. We would love to support you in your journey of faith. So if you did make that decision, let me or Tanya know. Let your Bible study table leader know. Let the gal pal you came with know. But we would love to also gift you with a Bible. So find one of us afterwards. So let me just close this in prayer. God, Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for all that you have done for us. Thank you, God, for the gospel. And whether we're hearing it for the first time or the hundredth time, thank you, Lord, for the power of the gospel and that the gospel is so, so powerful in our lives, Lord, that the power of the gospel never changes and never diminishes. God, thank you that you never change. Thank you, God, for all you have done for us through Jesus. 
God bless our time at tables. Pray especially, Lord, for all the women who are with us for the first time tonight for Gal Pal Week. I pray, Lord, that they would feel welcomed and seen at their tables, that they would feel known, God, that they would enjoy being in community with our women, Lord. So, God, we love you. We pray all this in your great name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.